We're on this series, uh, Unsung Heroes of the, of the Bible, and we'll finish the month with this. And then we're starting in September a new series called Who You Are in Christ. And we've had a printout that we've used for a number of years here that just gives all the scripture. This is what I have in Christ. And of course, the elementary part of that is knowing who he is and why his life makes such a difference in my life so that he really is my greatest hero, if you want to call it that. But we've been in this process for a while, different ones speaking, giving their different views of different people. A couple weeks ago, we are talking about James. James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And he didn't play the big brother card. He just said, I'm James, I'm a servant of Jesus. Well, then we went from there to Enoch, an Old Testament person who walked the path. Last week, I invited each of us to remember when we stepped on that path and what that was like. And to, uh, in one sense, renew our understanding of what it was, not back then, rejoicing in that, but remembering and realizing what it is today. I love what Oswald Chambers says. He says, if when you give your testimony, everything in your testimony is about something that God did years ago. There's a problem because there should be something that God is doing today. And we should all be able with the grace and work of the Holy Spirit to connect the dots of how God is working in our lives. Well, this week we're going to another guy, Jude, a very small book in the New Testament, the last book before the book of Revelations. And guess what? Jude is another half-brother of Jesus. Now, in different languages, it can be pronounced Judah, but I'm doing Jude. That's what is spelled out here. And so he is this another brother. There are four of them, by the way, if you do the research. And several sisters, not sure what their names were. But both of these guys... As they introduce themselves, James and Jude, they do so as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. They don't say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am the half-brother, look at me over here, of Jesus. We got the same mama, right? It doesn't happen. Now that kind of fits in in such a way that I hope I can explain to you in just a little bit. Because as they did this, and he even says, I'm the brother of James. And here's the the kicker. I've already told you this before, but these guys didn't believe Jesus when they were growing up with him. Now, I don't know if Mary, you know, it says when Mary heard all those things about Jesus, that she treasured them in her heart. I don't know if she kept them to herself. There's nothing in scripture tells us one way or the other. Whatever the case was, the brothers and the sisters thought he was nuts, Jesus that is. And there would be times when they tried to take him home, take him away from the crowds that he was gathering as he would teach the truth. And by the way, here's another thing, and you'll see how this fits in with the lesson today. When Jesus was teaching, the people who were listening to him teach said this, we have never heard someone teach with such authority. 
You have to understand, these Jewish people were hearing the word of God all the time. It wasn't that they were in a vacuum from truth. But when Jesus came along, the teachers of the Israelite people were teaching the truth, but they were doing it totally upon soulish methods. Now that's got to sink in for a little bit because you think about today, in our world today, with the wreck that our world has become and we've done it, can't blame somebody else. And you will hear on the internet, in person, on television, wherever, the teaching of the Word of God, but there's no authority, there's no power. And that's why I can promise you as we stand before you here in this particular church, not because we have, you know, we're the primo, primo, whatever, that's not it. But we have a responsibility, every one of us, to make sure that we're doing so in the authority of God. Because let me tell you, there is no real transformation in the lives of the people who hear the teaching and preaching of the word unless it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38. Jesus it's, it's said of Jesus that he did what he did, anointed of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's us. So here is now another half-brother, Jude, who identifies himself as a servant of Jesus. And he says, to those who are called, beloved in, in, the Father, in God the Father, kept in Jesus, may mercy and peace And love be multiplied to you. So when we look at one another in the body of Christ, the thing that we should be able to see all the time is mercy, peace, and love. And it's growing. It's not diminishing. It's increasing. And so in my life, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I have to evaluate on his judgment, not mine. Is this growing? Is there more mercy in my life toward others? Is there more peace in my life with the circumstances of life? Is there true love, loving God first and loving others so I can then love myself as I should? Now, I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to come back because there's there's these bookends that Jude has for his one chapter book. Jude, if I wrote a book, I'd write a Jude book. You know, my my one chapter book will be sufficient for me. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now, remember, I jumped ahead. I've got to come back. And what he's saying is, there's a reason that people stumble. But I want you to know, Jude says, I want you to know that the one that we worship is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. In other words, he's talking about false teachers. We're going to go back and look at those guys. But he says, oh, please, please be reminded. Please remember, remember that our Father God keeps us from stumbling, allows us the empowering, the enablement to stand in the presence of his glory blameless And with great joy. How many of us today have great joy? We're so weighed down by this world and the circumstances that are now so prevalent. How many people do you meet that really have joy? Now, I have to confess that um, I am a joyful person. 
My wife informs me that my countenance does not always express that. I work on it. I do. Um, recently, with some of the medical stuff I went through, they had all the stuff I do. They said, smile. I said, I am smiling. <laughs> and, and the guy said, no, I mean, really smile. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. I was smiling. Apparently on the inside, not on the outside. But with great joy, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. That is our God. He starts out with, this is who I am. I'm a servant of Lord Jesus Christ. I'm the brother of James. But, oh, you guys, listen up, listen up. We have this amazing father who loves us. And look what he does. Even though there's opposition, even though there's people who will do their best intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, to lead people astray, that's not a work. So let's go back. He explains, I was, I was going to write this letter to you guys. And I was going to write this letter about our common salvation. I, I, I wanted just to spend the whole chapter, as it were, talking about the amazing, wondrous grace of our God through the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to make that so very clear. As I was hearing these reports, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to all the saints. Now the question is, who is he writing to? He is writing to the Jewish Christians scattered abroad. That's who he's writing to. And he says, I have been made aware that there is a problem that has occurred and the problem is this there are people who are who have put themselves or gotten in position of teaching or positions of authority and they are misusing it well thank god that never happens in church today we're just talking about those people back in the first century right for they've what they've crept in unnoticed like we weren't paying attention. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Now think about this. These are people who've somehow found their way into leadership in local churches and these assemblies that Jude is writing to in these towns and cities. Ungodly persons. Now, here's, where you, here's the kicker right here. Please get this. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into a lascivious, lasciviousness and deny our holy master and love and Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? These guys, apparently, based on Jude's writing, at one point knew the truth. And by the way, the reason that I chose Jude as my hero today is because he spoke the truth. And he didn't, he didn't hold back. He said, folks, something's got to be done. This cannot continue as it is. 
We have a responsibility, all of us who are in faith in Christ, to make sure that what we are hearing is according to the word and the will of God. And we have to have the Holy Spirit to testify to us that that's true. Now, if you don't understand what I just said, then it's time for you to go to your prayer closet and spend some time with Father God, allowing him, his son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to have a work and accomplish a work in your lives. This is not just for those of us who stand up here. This is for all of us who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. That's happening in the church. Now, what is that? What's that big word being lasciviousness? It's lust. And it's in the area of sex and money. And by the way, so you know, when I started out in the ministry over 50 years ago now, you know the two things back then, I know you're going to find this really amazing, the two things back then that got most pastors in trouble was sex and money. Oh, I'm sorry, you didn't get that. It's never gone away. Okay? It's never gone away. Those are the appeals of the flesh. And unless we are living in the empowering, enabling, and filling of the Holy Spirit, we will find ourselves, too, falling into those same traps, no matter who we are. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know it, all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Israel, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Now, here, you got to get this as we go into this section of the Scripture here. Because Jude is speaking to a Jewish audience. And I know that most of you in here are not Jewish. So as he's referencing the things in the history of Israel, he's saying, please take note of how God dealt with this. Please pay attention to how God handled these kinds of people. He destroyed those who did not believe. I can tell you right now, as, as honest as I can possibly be, I'm so glad he has not destroyed me every time I didn't believe. Because there have been times where I'm thinking, ah, really, God? Really? You, that's what you, you're going to do that way? Really? So there's warnings throughout this scripture. And even the angels who did not keep their own domain... But abandon their proper abode has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Remember the issue of sex and money? So the angels, again, now remember, he's citing old, not, excuse me, not, he's citing ancient writings that are not canonized in the scripture. One of them is Enoch that we referenced last week and also the Testament of Moses. And see, those were teachings that were floating around in the life of the Israelites, so they got it. And one of them was about the angels who came down and had sex with men, or women, sorry. Oops, oops. But, and then, when the angels were here, the men at Sodom and Gomorrah wanted to have sex with the angels. And you think things are screwed up now.
Since they in the same way as these indulged in their gross immorality and went after strange flesh and exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Folks, God ain't playing games with this. I know as we look at the headlines of our world and we see that things that once were so totally wrong based on the word of God are now being, we're being told they're right. We have whole denominations, not just now, it's happened before, but it's happening again, fresh news, that are dividing over this very issue. How in the world, and this is not the first time I've said this, how in the world can anybody in their right Christian mind believe that God is for same-sex marriage? He's not. And yet we have those who are talking about teachers here who've taken the grace of God and turning it around. And they're saying, no, it's okay. God is a God of love. He loves everybody. And he and that's true. He does. But he hates sin. Mine, yours, and theirs. Don't pretend any other way. Because there is no pretense. He hates sin. Immorality is immorality. Paul, in his book in Galatians, gives a list, and it's not a complete list. It's just categories of areas where we fail in our human life. And so as Jude is writing, just spelling it out for those who are now undergoing persecution and those who are having to be aware that not only is the opposition coming from without, but, oh, man, there's stuff within the church, too. And it's still here. It's still happening. And that is why, please, 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 if you don't read your Bible, all I can say to you is, if you haven't, do it. You need to know what God has to say about the things that are going on. I mentioned to you one of my favorite speakers, Jim Simula, last week. Jim Simula says, isn't it amazing that we have Christians today who can get married And never even consult God about who they're supposed to be married to. They can buy or sell a house and never have had a conversation with God about what his will is. They can change jobs at random, move across the United States or even other parts of the world, and never bother to consult God for what his will is for their life. So let me be personal. Some of you haven't been around for a while. Some of you have been here a long time. Some of you are here when I came here. There have been times over the last 43 years that I wanted to leave Chester. Some of you don't know. There's a few in the room that would. We had a time in the history of our church where things went really, 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 really bad. And I got to tell you, I didn't know who in the world I could trust in the church. I knew it was a very small amount of people, but I didn't know who to trust. And so in that moment of weakness, I thought, wouldn't it be great to get the heck out of Dodge? And guess what? Some offers came in. Really good offers, I got to tell you. And guess what? The Holy Spirit of God said, what the heck are you doing? If I wanted you somewhere else, I would have told you somewhere else to be. 
Until I do, shut up, sit down, and get back to work. And I did. And I'm still here. I still have one group of people to please in Chester. See, a pastor, if he's wise, he knows how to please everybody. So, so far, I've pleased two groups. I got one left. You please the first group when you come because they want you to come. First church I pastored, I'd been there for a while and I was visiting one of the widows. And her comment was, she said, I'm so glad you won that vote. I said, excuse me? She goes, the vote for you to come. I'm so glad you won that vote. I said, what does that mean I won the vote? She goes, oh, they had you up against another guy and you got more votes than he did. I didn't know that. (laughs) So you please the first group when you come. The second group is when you stay. Well, I've been working on that group. And the last group you please is when you leave. So whoever you are, just hang on. There's a day coming. You'll be happy to. Take the time, please, to know what God has to say in his word. It says in James, we talked about this in James, if you lack wisdom, you ask. You ask believing, because if you ask not believing, you get nothing. It's in the Bible. I translate a little bit for you. Paraphrase, maybe. But when we spend time with him and see, as we're looking at this history that some of us recorded in the Bible, of course, and some of it is in the ancient writings, we see all this happening. And God says, I have a response for all that. We don't always know that. Yet in the same way, these men also, by dreaming, defile the flesh, reject authority, revile angelic majesties. See... Again, if you haven't taken the time to read your Bible, you may not know that we live in two worlds. Did you know that? We live in a spiritual world and we live in a physical world. And unless we are tuned in to the Holy Spirit, the spiritual world just goes right by us. We don't see it. But when we're tuned in, we begin to see, wait a minute, these things are occurring. There's reasons, there's causes behind the scene, as it were, for things to take place. But again, if you don't spend time in here, you're not going to get it. And just so you know, I've been doing it for over 50 years and I'm still getting it. It's not like I've got it all. No, hallelujah, I've got what I've gotten, but there's more to come and I'm so grateful he gives it so freely. But Michael the archangel, maybe you read this, maybe you didn't. This is Old Testament. When he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did you know there was a fight over the body of Moses? The devil said, well, I couldn't have him in life. I'll just have him in death. And look what happened. The angel, Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. you. You can't have him. He belongs to God. That's why I'm so grateful that I belong to God. The devil can't have me. He can irritate the daylights out of me and distract me if I let him. But he can't have me because I belong to God because I've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so have you if you've been bought. 
But look, these men revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they know by instinct, like reasoning animals, by these things they're destroyed. Woe to them. Woe to anyone who allows these things that are contrary to the will and the word of God to be a part of our lives. And we're all held accountable. We're all responsible to God. A friend of mine is, has just written a new book and it's coming out soon. The responsibility is everybody's responsibility. Listen, we, is it not insane today that people won't take responsibility? It's mind-boggling. You can literally watch somebody do something and they'll say, I didn't do it. And, okay, let me get in trouble here. I like to do that from time to time. A lot of this is because parents are not doing their job. We make excuses for our kids all the time. And that's why they're raised now and they're called snowflakes. Because a little bit of heat and they start melting. When your child is wrong, they're wrong. And I, I know some of your parents out there, I know, I know God gave you those precious little angels and they're never wrong. Yes, they are. Yours, mine. Listen, even my grandkids can be wrong, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> We're all responsible before God to take responsibility. And like I say, if if we as parents are raising our kids not to be responsible for what they've done. A gentleman in one of the churches that I served had a phrase. This was his way of handling responsibility. He would do something he shouldn't be doing. It was very obvious. His response was, well, the devil made me do it. Well, the truth is, he was probably telling the truth. The problem is, he was letting the devil tell him to do it. And then doing it. So this is the mess that was in the first century. The church is just getting launched. And Jesus says, I mean, he's the half-brother of Jesus. So it's in the lifetime of one of the brothers of Christ. This is first century stuff. For they have gone the way of Cain... And they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam. Now, what was Cain? He was the guy who killed his brother, right? Who was Balaam? He was the prophet who was hired by another nation to prophesy against Israel. It's about the money. And Cain was so wrapped up in his evil that he actually established a city that was known for evil. And what about... Korah, who was there in the camp of Moses, rebelling against Moses and Aaron. Have you read that story? God said, you want to rebel against my leaders? I'll just open the earth and you'll be swallowed. You, all your family, even your livestock. God ain't playing. We have this thing about this loving, benevolent father, and he is, but he is also a righteous God, who brings judgment as needed and necessary. The fact that we're still living and breathing is testimony to his love and mercy. 
These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you. And they do so without fear. What's a love feast? Oh, you guys aren't going to be a quiz. You'd have boned up for today, wouldn't you? What's a love feast? In the New Testament, what's a love feast? It's a meal. They're just eating food together, enjoying loving fellowship as believers in Christ. He says, these guys are there. And they're like a hidden reef. Do you guys know that a lot of ships are destroyed because of reefs that they can't see? And that's what this reference is here. It's like there's something there in the water. You can't see it. So you collide with it and you have destruction. And it says they're there and they don't care. They don't have fear. Caring for themselves. Oh, Billy. There we go with the narcissism. Caring for themselves. It's all about me. It's what I want. It's what I want. It's what I want. No, it's what I want. No, it's what I want. God, I get so sick of that. Especially when I'm the one doing it. Clouds without water. Can you imagine living living in the area that they did? And they had this cloud coming. Oh, thank God. There's refreshing rain. Oh, the earth needs it so badly. We need it to refresh God's creation. And the cloud moves across and nothing happens. They're carried along by the winds. Or what about a tree that doesn't bear fruit? What about a Christian that doesn't bear fruit? Is there such a thing? It's a little hard for me to think there is. Particularly when we have the fruit of the Spirit. They're dead. They're uprooted. And what about the waves of the sea? Casting up their own shame like foam. It's just just visual. There's no real content. And what about the stars, the wandering stars, a star that doesn't know its track. When God created all this stuff, he put it on track. And they're just in the darkness. So here's, here's the thing I want you to be so very, very mindful of as you listen to speakers. Is it what God is saying in his word? Now, if you don't read his word or study his word or know his word, you're going to have a problem. We have always taught our kids the Word of God. So when our son Jordan was seven years old, there was a ministry that had grown quite large and had a big TV ministry. And the way our house was situated at the time, the sofa was on one side of the den and the TV was on the other. So I was at home for lunch and I was turning the TV to catch the news and I saw a little thing about this ministry, I thought, oh, I haven't heard. Let me listen for a minute. So I'm sitting there eating my sandwich, and Jordan comes in, and he's walking between me and the TV. And he stops, and he looks at the TV, and he listens to the guy for maybe 15 seconds. And he turns to me, and he says, he's not right, is he, Dad? And I said, no, son, he's not. And he went on playing. No. 
How did he know that? He was no Bible scholar, not at seven. But the Spirit of God, because he had this relationship with God, revealed that to him just that quickly. And that's how it works for us when we're willing to let God be our God and live the life that God's called us to. See, and isn't it amazing? That's why I said he's my hero. Um, Jude's my hero, man. He just keeps getting it out. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, say, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon them. We, we play it so much. It just seems really hard for us to get serious about the things that God's serious about. And I'm telling you, we don't have to. And it isn't that we quit loving people. No, we actually love them more if we do this well. And to convict the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in ungodly ways and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Have you noticed how people speak against God? Do you let them do that in your presence and never challenge them? They're grumblers. Anybody here a grumbler? Please don't raise your hand. That's rhetorical. (laughs) But if you are, please take heart. Finding fault. Again, we're not wrong. We don't take responsibility. Our kids aren't wrong. They don't take responsibility, but everybody else is wrong. How can you make that work? How can, how can everybody else be wrong and you not be wrong and everybody take responsibility? Following after their own lust, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Let me ask you a question. Is it right to compliment a person? Of course it is. Is it right to flatter a person? Okay. We got to sell more coffee in the cafe or something. Somebody got to wake up up in here. Is it okay to flatter people? No. Because it's a lie. You compliment them as you should, but you don't flatter them, particularly when you're doing it to get some kind of advantage. Ever watch that happen? You ever done that? (laughs) We can all be guilty of it, you know. We're not supposed to be. Be sure you measure your words according to the Spirit of God so that when you're giving a compliment which should be given, that you're not doing so with ridiculous flattery. Where you're trying to get an advantage. You're trying to, oh, if if I make them, if I build them up, then later on when I want this from them, I'll get them. I'll get this from them. That's not how God has us live. He has us live in truth and love. And it works. (laughs) But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were saying to you, in the last times, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. Now, this is Jude writing in the first century about today. 
and is real. And we choose, each of us choose who we're going to listen to. We choose who we're going to allow to speak into our lives. These are the ones who cause divisions. How many of you read Proverbs 6? I got it open right here. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. Let me read it for you. There are six things which the Lord hates. Do you know that God hates stuff? Actually, he says there are seven. And these seven that he hates are an abomination to him. So here we go. You ready? Listen up. Haughty eyes. What's that mean? Pride. He says, I resist the proud, but give grace to the humble. A lying tongue. Now, God hates pride. God hates a lying tongue. And hands that shed innocent blood. Now, you probably got zinged on the first two, and you're thinking, oh, hallelujah, I hadn't killed anybody today. I mean, I killed anybody. But have you ever assassinated someone's character with your mouth? A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And listen to the last one. And the one who spreads strife among the brothers. God hates it. He hates it. You say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I don't think I'm guilty of that. Well, have you ever let people come to you and grumble about whatever the heck it is that's going on? Or people that, you know, they have their opinion and they think it should be. And you just listen to them and you never bother to say, well, wait a minute. Let's see what God has to say about this. Many years ago, one of our pastors in town was in trouble. And... Uh, because I happen to know members of the church, they would seem to seek me out in public places and want to tell me all the faults of their pastor. And I would do my best not to let them speak more than about 10 seconds. And then I would say, well, let me ask you this. You're out here talking to me about how bad your pastor is. Have you been in the prayer closet talking to God about how bad your pastor is? You know what? Those conversations would end so quickly. I mean, I don't know. Was it something I said? Worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. See, that's it. That's what lets you know the real truth here. When you're, when you're talking to somebody, you're meeting somebody, and your spirit, it's not lining up, you know something's wrong. You may not know exactly what's wrong. Like my seven-year-old son did not know exactly what was wrong with what the man was saying, but he knew it was wrong because it didn't line up. So all this is our God allowing us to walk through this. He says, instead, you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So whether my life ends in just me dropping dead, as I mentioned last week up here, or where I'm here when Jesus comes back and takes all of us with him to heaven, doesn't matter to me. I want my energy, my effort, and my attention given to that. Not to all the junk that the world is all about today. This guy doesn't quit, does he? I gave you the whole chapter, just so you know. 
and have mercy on some who are doubting, saving others, snatching them out of the fire, and of some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now, what's that saying? That's saying to all of us, there are people that God says, I have people I'm going to put in your world who need to be saved. Now, we don't save them. The Holy Spirit saves them. The folks that we saw baptized last week were folks who had been saved by the Holy Spirit. We don't save anybody. I can testify to that because I had the experience as a young pastor where I saved a person. It didn't last long, I'm telling you. It's a long story. We don't save anybody. But what we do is, as the Holy Spirit of God leads and directs us, and we're able to give truth to another, another person, it may be a family member, it may be a co-worker, it may be a neighbor, whomever, it may be some person we just encounter, as almost we would think as a random encounterment. But that's our God using us. And we help them to know the truth, and the truth is what sets them free. What do we say about our God? He's able to keep us from stumbling. Do you get that? Our God is able to keep us. Remember the path we're walking on? Remember the path we reminded ourselves of last week as the Holy Spirit gave direction on getting on the path. When we got on it, for some of us many years ago, for some more recent, but we got on the path. And on that path we're walking and we don't stumble on that path because God makes that path clear. He really does. And then to stand in his presence, in his glory, blameless, without, with great joy. And that's, that's every day we get to enjoy that. He's our God. He's our Savior. He's our Jesus. He's our Lord. And let my life and your life be glory and majesty and dominion and authority, and authority before all time. And forevermore. That's the message from my hero Jude, who was not willing to hold back, but instead said, Here's the truth. It's in love, but here's the truth. So for us today, here's the truth. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do with it? Does that mean you should march out of here and go turn on the internet and See who you can find that's not teaching the right stuff. I'm not going to recommend that. Instead, I would be very mindful who I let speak into my life. I would ask the Holy Spirit who authored this book, who inspired each one to write this book, to help me to read it and read it with understanding. So that I then, with his enablement, can empower, excuse me, his enablement and empowerment, that I can act upon that word and live it out every day. At home first, and then in every encounter, whether it's at work or school, commerce, doesn't matter. God will give you and I ample opportunity to encounter amazing people there'll be people that i'll encounter that you'll never even know and the same is true for you but the question of accountability and responsibility before god is this what are each of us doing with those encounters are we doing exactly what god would have us to do are we doing it the way god would have us to do it 
Or instead, we're still about the flesh. Remember, he says, that's the problem. These guys have turned it into, it's about sex. It's about money. It's about doing whatever the heck it is what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, with whomever I want to do it. That is not the will and the way of God, just so you know. Would you stand as we pray, please? Thank you, Father, that your word is truth. And sometimes your word's a little heavy in how we are to walk this out and live this out. But thank you for men of God like Jude, inspired by you, Holy Spirit, who wrote in such incredible authority that this is how life is to be. And as always, we know that we're not left of this on our own because that's an impossible task. And any person here who knows you, Lord Christ, please, please, please remind them of how necessary it is for each of us to surrender, to submit to you and have you, Holy Spirit, fill us and manifest your presence in our lives, in our homes, at work, at school, wherever we are. Let our heart always be that we love you first, love others as we love ourselves, and then are able to minister through that incredible grace that you give to whomever it is that we encounter because there are some who need to be saved from the fire. Some who will be saved from eternal damnation because we have been faithful and honest and true to you and to them. In Jesus' name, amen.